0: During that time period, they were testing positive. They were notifying one another, and they didn't notify us.
1: Well, you're a Democrat. What do you expect, whiner?
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why I got the feeling that something right.
2: No, it ain't. I'm so
0: scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you yes, I'm stuck in the middle
2: from Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle. On KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day, even during continuing pandemics on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, NetRoots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio. And Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. More than 40 million people, that is the equivalent of one out of every four American workers, have now filed for unemployment benefits over the past 10 weeks, one out of every four American workers. That since the coronavirus pandemic grabbed hold in mid-March, according to the federal government on Thursday, which is an astounding tally rivaling the bleakest years of the Great Depression, the New York Times observes today, while noting that the real tally of unemployed is likely far higher than even those unimaginable numbers suggest. An estimated 2.1 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week, despite the gradual reopening of businesses around the country and despite the fact that millions more are believed to still be held up in still overburdened state unemployment systems. 2.1 million was the smallest weekly number over the past 10 weeks as the rate of new jobless claims continues to decline. But before the covid crisis began just three months ago, the U.S. never had even one single week of new unemployment claims that were higher than one million, at least as far as records of this stuff goes. Back to the 1950s, the Labor Department report marks the eighth week in a row that new jobless claims dipped from an early peak of almost 6.9 million. But the level is still far above any other historical highs. The U.S. unemployment rate was officially pegged at 14.7 percent in April, also a level not seen since the first Great Depression, And many economists expect that it will ultimately be near 20 percent in May. As David Dayan notes in his unsanitized report today at the American Prospect, however, a new Census Bureau survey shows that nearly half of all households have lost income. That, he writes, is a closer depiction of reality in this crisis. But not for everyone. The stock market shot up again on Thursday, along with those disturbing unemployment numbers. The stock market on Thursday continued to build on this week's strong gains, according to CNBC, with the third straight day of its latest rally. In fact, the stock market has shot up pretty much every week on the same day that these bleak unemployment totals are released by the U.S. Labor Department. It's as if Wall Street likes huge unemployment figures or something, Overall, the Dow has gained more than 1,200 points since last Friday and is now on track for its best week since April. The S&P 500 is enjoying its fourth straight day of gains as the market has come back almost two-thirds of the way towards its record high just before it crashed in early March as the Labor Department announced another 2.1 million on the unemployment lines which was actually higher than a Dow Jones estimate had predicted. Nonetheless, the market shot up. Most companies in the S&P 500 stock index have reported their first quarter earnings, and the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on profits is clear. On a per-share basis, profits of S&P 500 companies fell. By 13% in the first quarter, making it the worst slump since 2009, and analysts say they think that things will get worse before they get better. Going by the conventional wisdom, the current collapse in profit expectations and analysts' woeful prognosis for future earnings should be clobbering share prices in the market, but... Investors don't appear to be taking their cues from analysts. The S&P 500 has soared more than 30 percent over the last two months. Americans are suffering even beyond the more than 100,000 who have been killed over the past 90 days by the coronavirus. But, But Wall Street is not suffering. At least its billionaire investors are not. Dayan notes a startling statistic at the prospect from the Institute of Policy Studies. That statistic since March 18, as 100,000 died from covid-19 and 40 million lost their jobs, billionaires in America have added four hundred and eighty five billion dollars in wealth. None of this seems to make sense, at least from a layman's perspective. So what is going on here? Here to explain what is going on here to a non-economist like myself is David Dayen, financial investigative journalist, editor-in-chief of The American Prospect, and author of its daily Indispensable Unsanitized Report. We have been checking in with him on a regular basis since the crisis began, even as that crisis continues Despite Wall Street numbers that seem to make no sense and the reopening of businesses around the country, even as infection and death rates continue to rise. Welcome back to the broadcast, Mr. Dan. All right. Thank you, sir. So, uh, David, earlier this week, I cited your reporting at the prospect warning that if Congress does not act and act quickly... Those unemployment numbers I just cited are likely to get much worse as states and municipalities around the country face hard deadlines for balanced budgets by July 1 before they must begin cutting services and laying off cops and firefighters and teachers and emergency personnel, including health care workers in the middle of a pandemic. You argued that if the federal government does not, quote, backstop state and local spending and quickly within the next few weeks, quote, we will have a depression, period. Well, Wall Street, David, is not acting like we will have a depression, even as all of the other economic indicators seem to indicate as much. So can you explain for dumb, non-financial people like me what exactly the hell is going on here, please?
1: Yes, it's two words. Uh, Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is what is going on. Yeah. So On March 23rd, this Mm -hmm. is the key day, the Fed made an announcement that they would continue to support the U.S. economy, and they did something that they had never done before in their history. They said that they would purchase corporate debt, and this is... Various bonds that are mm-hmm. sold by corporations for them uh, to borrow mm-hmm. and uh, you know do whatever they want with it. Really, uh, it could be uh, capital expenditures, it could be salaries and, and and executive bonuses. But this this is the mother's milk right now of uh, especially during a pandemic mm-hmm. to to be able to have uh, corporate borrowing and when the Fed announced that the corporate debt markets were essentially frozen. They mm-hmm. were, they were, it was very difficult to get uh, a bond issued if you were a large corporation. And when the Fed an- signaled that they were willing to take this step, before even doing it, the corporate credit markets got unstuck. And we have seen hundreds of billions of dollars of borrowing from these corporations since March 23rd. It was bolstered first by the CARES Act, Mm -hmm. where the Treasury put $500 billion into a Federal Reserve fund that they can lever up to $4.5 trillion to support this purchase of corporate debt as well as other uh, lending throughout the economy. And it was bolstered even further on April 9th when the Fed announced that it would even buy junk bonds. So, initially it said, well, we'll buy corporate debt, but only if it's investment grade, if it has little chance of failing. That's what we'll buy. Mm -hmm. By April 9th, they said, well, (laughs) you know, if if it was the the, the worst business idea in the world, and normally you'd have to take out an extortionate interest rate, and it's a junk bond, Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll buy that, too. No problem. Uh, Bring it on over. And, and that, that so, was enough
2: yeah. to, to get the markets to say, okay, we're back in business, Absolutely. everything is fine, all of these companies. And Because when, when you say Absolutely. issuing bonds and, uh, and the Fed buying corporate debt, essentially what that means is these huge companies are allowed to borrow money. Right, right? that's right.
1: And, uh, you know, that's what we saw in the Great Recession, uh, in, in the financial crisis, the, mm-hmm. the, the Fed, opened up the, what they call the discount window to all these financial institutions to do trillions of dollars of borrowing. And, you know, when you're a large corporation and you're given a bunch of money to play with, if you don't know how to make money off that, you're, you're, you shouldn't be a large corporation. <laughs> right. And you won't be for right. very long. So that, that is a bailout. I mean, you know, people don't like to consider it that way. Uh-huh. But it's a bailout on a number of different levels. Number one, uh, for investors... Uh, a market which was at its low on, April, on, on March 23rd, mm-hmm. then went up 30%. So that, that, is, that is $7 trillion of wealth created by that Fed action. For owners of funds that are linked to corporate bonds, what they call exchange-traded funds, mm-hmm. if you look at every single one of these, they look like the Grand Canyon. So they're popping along. Right. They, they go down as the crisis begins. They reached their bottom mm-hmm. on March 23rd, and then after that Fed announcement, they go right back up to where they were, and then they bump along again.
2: That's, That's that well. V-shaped recovery that uh, <laughs> they've been talking about for the rest of the economy. It doesn't seem to be happening for the rest of the right. economy, but it, it
1: only happened for the investor class. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, and then, you know, the, the the key thing for, and this is a direct subsidy to corporations. Uh-huh. Uh The what they call the bond spreads, how much it costs to borrow, okay. essentially, is what that tracks. Uh-huh. And we saw all of these peak right around, here's that date again, March 23rd. And then as soon as that announcement was made, all of these prices, all of this sort of interest rates mm-hmm. for corporate bonds collapsed. They went right, right back down. It's, it's, we have one case study in, in the story about Carnival Cruise Lines. Right. Now, what idiot would, would, would <laughs> send money to Carnival Cruise Lines right now like, go ahead, borrow money. You have no revenue plan forever. Right, right. So before the Fed acted, a bunch of hedge funds were willing to uh, essentially uh, 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 take over Carnival Cruise Lines and offer them borrowing rates of 15%, mm-hmm. I believe was the number. By the time the Fed un- made its announcement, Carnival was able to borrow – at 11 percent, and then part of it was even at 5 percent, and that difference on on six billion dollars in borrowing is hundreds of millions of dollars. That's directly like it's a direct subsidy. It's you know, the mm-hmm. Carnival was willing to. Uh, they were only able to get money at a certain rate. And then once the Fed acted, they were able to get money at a much lower rate.
2: Well, let me, let me try to understand some of this. So when the Fed says, we, we will backstop this, they're not actually giving out any money. They're saying that if Carnival Cruise Lines, in this particular case, cannot pay back this money, that the Fed will do so down the line? Is that essentially well, what, what they're, they're saying?
1: Well, what they're saying is, we're going to support the entire market. So uh-huh. it's not even at the specific level. They're saying, we are going to buy these bonds. Mm -hmm. And uh, after Congress passed the CARES Act, they were able to say, we are going to buy X amount of dollars Mm -hmm. of these bonds to support this market. Mm -hmm. They're essentially saying to investors, we will take care of you. We we will do whatever it takes, whatever we need to do to take care of you. And the markets take that as a signal. Like, they're going to be coddled. They're they're going to be protected. And that's all it takes.
2: and is it, is it fair to say, then, that uh, what we're seeing in the market, and I think you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, and I think I called it irrational exuberance um, right. from a saying from the 90s, uh, is it fair to say that what we are seeing in the market and what, of course, Donald Trump likes to, to cite, oh, look how great the market is doing, that, in fact, it's sort of its own little island of a world that has nothing to actually do with the rest of the economy?
1: Right, but it's an island that Congress chose to protect. So Congress had options here. They mm-hmm. they they could have, you know, put all of their force into protecting worker paychecks uh-huh. or to, you know, making sure that, that that all debt arrangements were canceled or put on pause like mortgages and rents and things like that. They chose to instead direct the bulk of the funds from the CARES Act to this treasury-slash-federal-reserve money cannon. They, they made that choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you sort of defer to the Fed as your main policy-making engine in the country, you're going to get disproportionate responses because the Fed deals with banks and they deal with large corporations. And, and that's who's going to get the relief, not the average person in the street.
2: So when Carnival Cruise Lines gets this money, when Boeing, Boeing, which was already in trouble before the COVID crisis, they were able to, uh, you report, to capitalize on some $25 billion in bonds. Right. A, that is money that is not coming from the federal treasury, correct? It's just being That's sort correct. of
1: guaranteed? It's in the private credit right. market. And, and, but uh, but that, they were not able to get that before and they've admitted it that uh-huh. they were not able to get private credit mm-hmm. until the fed said it would backstop the entire credit market
2: now the cares act put uh, i think it was some 500 billion into money that could have gone to these companies but they chose not to take it they wanted that that private equity instead of the federally funded they wanted uh, private money?
1: credit and i'll tell you exactly why, why. Yeah. because Because the Treasury, in the case of Boeing, Uh uh, that money was going to come from the Treasury Department, and that bailout was going to come with strings attached. Uh So they were going to have to hang on to payroll. They were going to have to hang on to workers. Uh What did we learn yesterday? Boeing fired 12,000 people and plans to fire another 4,000. So when you you do it sort of in this backhanded, indirect way, where you go through the credit markets, there are no conditions. On that support that you're implicitly giving to a company like Boeing, and indeed, when uh, the Fed wrote the rules for the corporate debt buying facility Mm -hmm. that they set up, they initially had rules in there that said we're going to, you know, have conditions. We'll we'll only buy bonds from companies directly that have have worker protections and and Mm -hmm. don't do buybacks and things like that. They eliminated all of those rules in a tweak a couple weeks later so there are no conditions on if if the fed is going to buy your corporate bonds you can use that money to pay uh, the executive salaries mm-hmm. you can use that money to do uh, buybacks stock buybacks uh, and, and they dividend can dividend in inflate, inflate their dividends. own
2: prices yeah
1: right And give dividends out to uh, support you can use that money to in, engage in mergers and acquisitions and buy other companies there's no condition there's nothing you can't do with that money
2: okay so i'm i'm no fan obviously of of these huge corporations but isn't it ultimately a good thing No matter how it happens, isn't it ultimately a good thing that these companies are able to, uh, in in the case of Carnival Cruise Line, pardon the pun, stay afloat and not file for bankruptcy, not gut employee pension plans, etc., until this crisis is over, even though it seems unseemly? It's a good thing, Let me
1: say a few things. So Carnival, I think, is a bad option for that question because there's no productive function that Carnival serves. It doesn't even have any U.S. employees. Uh, it doesn't fly the U.S. flag. It, it's not a U.S. company, mm, but somehow right? they're getting benefit from U.S. action. But in general, I, I would say yes, what, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. I do say that in the piece. The important point here is the proportionality. Yeah. So large corporations, when they get the slightest hint of trouble, the Fed nods in their direction, and they get bailed out. When ordinary people, forty million strong, mm-hmm. uh, have to go onto the unemployment lines, they get limited temporary relief that will probably go away very soon, and they struggle to grab food and uh, uh, figure out how to maintain uh, their health, their their shelter. This is the problem. The problem is not that large companies got a bailout from something that wasn't of their own making, mm-hmm. uh, the coronavirus crisis. The, the, the problem is is that there's one system for elite investors mm-hmm. and, and large corporations and one system for everybody else. And let me just finish by saying that investors are supposed to take risks. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason why they get these outsized returns. They're, they're supposed mm-hmm. to put their own money on the line, and because they take on that risk, they're able to make more rewards from that money. What we're saying is that, no, even if there's a shock to the system, uh, we're, we're not going to let investors take that risk. And that means the only ones who, who bear the burden of any kind of shock to the system are the people who are least able to, to afford it. Mm. Uh, and, and that's a real social problem. So so this is, this is not a problem of the Fed. This is a problem of the policymaking system. This is a problem of Congress. Yeah and the executive branch uh, in terms of who they value and who matters.
2: And, and is this a, uh, well, you cite the executive branch here, but is there a difference when it comes to Democrats and Republicans in this sort of thinking, this sort of policymaking well, uh, let me in ask Congress? You,
1: uh, yeah. Brad, what yeah. was the vote on the CARES
2: Act? They were all in. Everyone <laughs> was in but but was 96 it
1: 96 to nothing
2: yeah but was it clear at the time that uh, this uh, federal uh, federal reserve money cannon as you call it that that was going to be the way that this bailout ended absolutely, up absolutely clear
1: it was absolutely clear uh-huh. it was known and predicted by me and others at mm-hmm. the time and when you defer like that when you say okay federal reserve you handle the large corporations you handle the uh, the, the that side of this this crisis relief and you do it the way that you want to do it Mm -hmm. Uh, then you know congress loses its agency i mean you have elizabeth warren and others screaming now about how oh uh, the the fed is uh, allowing for example oil and gas companies to get a large bailout by changing the terms of the the means by which they will give credit Mm -hmm. Uh, that you know, you, you facilitated that. You, you they, they allowed, allowed that the, to
2: happen. They gave them, uh, they, they could have put restrictions on that in the bill. They didn't. They said, hey, you guys decide. You, the executive Absolutely. branch, you and, guys and, decide. And
1: so when you defer mm-hmm. to a system like the Fed that has inherent biases in who they are able to provide relief to, don't be surprised after the fact if all the relief is going to large corporations and, and well-heeled investors.
2: But I swear, I thought the Trump administration was going to be honest and do a good job here and be careful with the way the uh, money was spent from the U.S. government. I don't know what happened. Exactly. Now, now uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate, despite passage of, of a new $3 trillion emergency spending relief uh, bill recently passed by Democrats wow. in the House... McConnell says he's in no hurry to pass another relief bill. He wants to see how things go with the first ones first. But as you report at the American Prospect this week, David Dayen states do not have time to see how things are going to how how things are going to go. They're facing budget deadlines July 1 and some states even earlier. So what are you hearing from your sources on Capitol Hill when it comes to whether Congress can get its act together to get something done as far as uh, relief for states and municipalities that are going to have to start cutting off uh, firing workers and making this entire problem even worse.
1: I think there are more. there's more of a recognition that something's going to have to be done. Even McConnell has mm-hmm. said we're probably going to do a bill. They're going to drag their feet, and the reason they're going to drag their feet is you have this you know, uh, imminent crisis in the states mm-hmm that I I assume Republicans see as a bit of leverage here to get what they want. And the only thing left that that Republicans want is the ability to have total immunity for businesses when customers or workers contract the coronavirus uh, on their premises. And so the more that they drag their feet and make it more of a dire situation on the part of uh, the states Mm -hmm. to get state fiscal relief or put a gun to the head of the unemployed, who lose their six hundred dollar a week bonus benefit yep. uh, at the end of July? The more that you put that at risk, uh, the more concessions you can ring out. I I, I I don't have a lot of special information here, but just based on on the last. 20 years of experience Mm -hmm. looking at how Republicans operate in Congress, that seems to me to be the the, uh, equation.
2: But it is their states as well. I I know that McConnell and Trump love to call this a blue state bailout, but you document a whole bunch of uh, uh, so-called red states that are going to be in very, that are already in serious trouble, going to be in even worse trouble come July 1.
1: This this crisis is not discriminating uh, against Uh uh, any particular uh, state uh, or, or in its favor. I mean, uh, we, we've seen this as a broad, even economic collapse that we've seen go out all across the country. And, and nobody is going to be spared. So I assume Republicans on the Hill are starting to hear from, you know, the governor of Florida mm-hmm. and uh, the folks in, in North Carolina right. or in, in Georgia, other states, Ohio, or, Georgia yeah. or Ohio or states throughout the country. They're saying, look, we actually need this right away. Uh, because our budget cycle begins July 1st, there are some ways to sort of, uh, you know, try to get around that, through mm-hmm. gimmicks and end runs. Illinois just passed their budget, and it has uh, these weird assumptions that they're going to get money from the Fed, and that's b- baked into the budget. But at some point those run out, and you, j- you have to make the cuts. And, and, and states, like unlike the federal government, have to balance their budget. They don't have a a, a, a printing press uh, right. available to them to just print more money. So, so I I do think that that Republicans, uh, particularly Senate Republicans, are dealing with some cross pressures there. They want to work the system to maximum benefit, but also they're probably hearing from their own constituents and and their own cities and states that that they they need the money
2: and now. and yet. All of this uh, is running smack dab up against an upcoming election, which it seems to be leading... Well, at least uh, one side of the political equation here, to pretend that everything is is fine, everything is well. Hey, look at the market, after all. Look how it is soaring again. You note know today that thumbs are on scales everywhere when it comes to the federal government's unemployment numbers, which are likely higher than what's being reported, when it comes to the death toll and infection rate, which is likely much higher than currently reported. And I suspect states, at least certain states, would similarly be fudging the their numbers as these deadlines approach, no?
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's hard to fudge, like the actual dollars that that have to go and be appropriated, and what's coming into the the state coffers uh, in terms of revenue. I mean, they, they only get a certain amount of tax dollars in, mm-hmm. and and certainly the states that you're talking about that might be fudging the numbers to try to bring the economy back, they're going to have no problem uh, if 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 certain revenues don't come in. To cut things that they probably wanted to cut for years, so uh, that that's not going to be an obstacle for a lot of red state governors uh, so uh, you know I mean the whole thing is that that Congress has now deferred this action, and you know we didn't get major state and fiscal uh, uh, state fiscal relief mm-hmm. and, and local fiscal relief in the bill with the giant bailout right so now they're they're scrambling. Even though we have this this near depression on our hands, they're scrambling to come up with some other concession to be able to to secure this relief. And I, I, I think I think you know the House and, and Senate Democrats put themselves in a terrible situation by signing on to uh, this very disproportionate bailout.
2: Last question here, David Day, and I was uh, mentioning to uh, Desi Doyan yesterday that I, I that I could never imagine. A moment in American history when something like this, a viral pandemic, would become so unbelievably politicized, even under the George W. Bush administration, frankly, uh, you know, this this these battles over masks, no masks, open, don't open. I mean, all of this at this point Uh, now seems to simply be about electoral politics, period. Not about the disease, not about keeping Americans safe, not about even saving the economy at this point. Uh, And that calculation by some seems as if it is going to be unspeakably deadly uh, in ways that really few in the media still are accurately reporting. Am I overthinking this? Am I crazy? Or is the rest of the world? Because that's kind of how it feels on some days, David.
1: I think we've been headed in this direction since the 90s, really, since uh, uh, Newt Gingrich, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at at two different realities, whether you're you're on Team Red or Team Blue. Uh, But on a pandemic
2: when people are dying? I mean, it's just mind-blowing to me.
1: Well, look, I mean, uh, you know, there were lies told about uh, the who who was responsible for the murder of three thousand Americans on nine eleven, mm. and and that was done to get us involved in a in a geopolitical conflict that caused thousands of more Americans to die. So, I mean, we we've, we've been here before um, in terms of disinformation and mm. misinformation and and the willingness to use. To use that uh, for for political purposes, mm. uh, this is just you know more par for the course, and it's a, a bigger crisis, obviously, than we've seen before. Uh, but it's the way in which people interface with politics nowadays, and 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 that's that's it's really kind of shameful. Uh, and you know, obviously, the fact that this pandemic and, 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 you know, it interfaces with all the things you've been talking about for so long, namely elections and voting rights. Mm-hmm. And every day we're seeing new litigation decided yep. uh, on on what we're going to do with absentee balloting and, right. and how we're going to count the ballots. Yeah. Uh, what we see is, is the president uh, setting up a conversation about a stolen election six months, nine months in advance. Yeah by talking about how absentee ballots don't count, and we know they get counted later. Right. So let's say Pennsylvania goes uh, for Trump until the absentee ballots come in late, and they turn it over to Biden, he's going to call them illegitimate. I mean, it's very clear what's going on, right? Um, and so a lot of this is positioning, I think, for the general election. Yeah. And, and
2: that's what's, you know... <laughs> Yes, we've had a lot of lies told, we've killed a lot of people, everything else, but the uh, notion that we would now even start killing our own people who are, uh, you know, going to vote, you know, no vote by mail, we've got to do it in person, we've got to force people to die to cast their vote, I don't know, feels like we've stepped up to another level here, but... We will have to pick this up in uh, in our next conversation. David Dayan, he is the executive editor of the American Prospect, the author of the daily unsanitized column, which you can and should sign up for for free at the American Prospect. Get it in your uh, mailbox every day. And author of the new book, which comes out in just days, as I understand it, uh, called Monopolized Life in the Age of Corporate Power. I can't imagine what that's about. <laughs> David, July 21st. Actually. Oh, it's July 21st. All right. I'll change that on my notes. Good. We'll talk to you a few more times before then, I hope. Uh, you can find him on the Twitters at D. dayan and, of course, at prospect org. Hey, David, great talking with you, my friend. We'll do it again soon.
1: All right. Thanks a lot.
2: You bet. All right. A quick break. And we are back with uh, speaking of election news, some election news and also a really angry justifiably so, really angry Pennsylvania lawmaker. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast.
3: don't like
2: who's in there vote them out yes please do that's what election day is all about at least in theory the biggest gun
3: we've got is called the ballot box so if you don't like who's in there vote them out yes
2: please do welcome back to the bradcast brad friedman from bradblog.com As we uh, went to break there, uh, some breaking news here from uh, AP. The Minnesota governor has activated National Guard in uh, the state after two nights of protests that followed the death of George Floyd, the black man who died in police custody after uh, one of the cops had his knee on the man's neck. Uh, So uh, stay safe out there. Our listeners in on uh, uh, AM 950. Hope you guys are doing okay, And um, boy, I hope things uh, sort out for the better. But yes, there does need to be a, a reckoning, a reckoning this year at the ballot box for all manner of things. Uh, not just at the federal level, but all across the country at this point. Frankly, before we all die from our own stupidity in one way or another. And this story today out of Pennsylvania makes that clear once again. A Pennsylvania Democratic lawmaker joined colleagues on his side of the aisle in lambasting a Republican lawmaker for keeping them in the dark about testing positive for the coronavirus State Rep. Brian Sims, Democrat from Philadelphia, delivered an epic Facebook Live rant on Wednesday about the exclusion, saying that state House Republicans called for in-person in-person committee meetings to argue that business sectors were safe to reopen, even as they knew that they all had been exposed to the virus by Republican State Rep. Andrew Lewis, who told fellow Republicans that he was positive For COVID 19, but those Republicans failed to tell Democrats that they had uh, all been in contact with for 10 days since Lewis found out that he was positive. Sims was not happy at all about this last night.
0: This morning, apparently, House Democratic leadership learned that for as much as a week, perhaps longer, that House Republican leadership knew that at least one of their members had tested positive for COVID-19, that other members who'd been exposed to him would eventually go on quarantine, but they didn't go on quarantine until they were done serving alongside us, especially those of us that serve on the state government committee. Um, So for those of you that, that know, the Pennsylvania House of Representatives under our gerrymandered Republican leadership has been perhaps the most active state legislature in the entire country. And during that time period, during the entire COVID-19 crisis, the state government committee has been the place where all of these up bills to pretend that, that it is safe to go back to work have been going. And every single day, of this crisis, the state government committee in Pennsylvania has met so that their members could line up one after one after one and explain that it was safe to go back to work. It was safe to go back to race car driving or dog grooming or getting your hair cut. Meanwhile, what we're learning is that during that time period, they were testing positive. They were notifying one another and they didn't notify us. Um, I just spent the better part of the last 11 weeks sitting across a room from people who would eventually test positive and decided not to tell us. They did do some kind of quarantine. They did do some kind of contact tracing. They, I guess, being Republican leadership. Russ Diamond, apparently, the many of you know as the person that has led the charge to open up the legislature, screaming every single day in committee about how, how we were safe and how there wasn't a risk, has apparently been quarantining himself for weeks. Of course, he didn't explain that to any of us when he was in committee talking with us or walking up and down the aisles or bumping into us or letting us hold the door open for him. So here's what needs to happen. Here's what I think needs to happen. First of all, Mike Terzai, the Speaker of the House, needs to resign. And any member of leadership that has known what was going on, any member of Republican leadership that knew that members were testing positive, that other members were being quarantined, and did not tell those of us who were exposed to those members needs to be investigated by the Attorney General. And I think that there needs to be prosecutions. I'm in a building right now surrounded by members that can't go see their kids, that are having to call their husbands, having to call their wives and saying, honey, I might have exposed you and everybody I love in this world because one of my colleagues tested positive, but he was protecting his family, but not protecting
3: mine. And Republican leadership protected him. He mad. Yeah, for good reason. For good reason. And that's just an excerpt.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hi, Desi Doyen. Didn't get to say hi earlier. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. State Rep. Andrew Lewis, Republican from Dauphin. He's uh, he said in his own uh, Facebook live address on Wednesday night, hours after he publicly announced that he had tested positive, that he informed as few people as possible about uh, contracting the coronavirus because he wanted to protect the privacy (laughs) of those around him. And because he was only in close quarters with a handful of House colleagues... Apparently a handful of House colleagues who had no idea that they could be bringing this virus home to their families and killing them. Those people he informed actually self-isolated and in some cases got tested. He said he had a mild case and recovered quickly before waiting 10 days to announce his experience publicly. The number of people who have died in the U.S. as a result of the virus has now crossed the 100,000 mark over just the past three months, including over 5,200 deaths in Pennsylvania. Democratic leader Frank Dermotti of Allegheny said in a statement on Wednesday night, while we are pleased to learn that this House member seems to have recovered, it is simply unacceptable that some House Republicans knew about this for more than a week and sat on that knowledge. He said there had been multiple meetings in May in which some Republicans who might have had contact with Lewis attended without masks and made a point of their distaste for personal protective equipment. Dermotti said this attitude shows a fundamental lack of respect for fellow lawmakers. Well, I should say so
3: that's putting it mildly
2: state rep kevin boyle democrat from philadelphia said on twitter that the state government committee he chairs has met 12 times in the last two months in person not informing anyone there is a COVID 19 positive member with multiple gop members in quarantine should be criminal he said well it should he's right rep sims is right it should. It could essentially result in murder, to be frank. Some Republicans, however, defended Lewis and accused Democrats of being too sensitive about the matter. <laughs> Rep. Russ Diamond, Republican of Lebanon, said on Twitter, quote, lefties whine because I self-quarantined but didn't get tested. And pos- after possible covid contact. No reason for testing. I feel like a million bucks. Yeah. The Center for Disease Control uh, states that in workplace environments, quote, employers should inform fellow employees of their possible exposure to covid-19 in the workplace. Apparently, the Republicans have no interest in what the CDC recommends. Rep. Lewis, the jerk who tested positive but only told fellow Republicans, said that his views on reopening the state during the pandemic have not changed. He said, quote, I firmly believe it is time to safely reopen Pennsylvania.
3: Well, of course, it didn't harm him personally. And if it doesn't harm a Republican personally, they don't care who else it harms. Yeah. Only if it affects them personally or their family personally. Plus,
2: he already had the disease, right? So maybe he's immune at this point. So no skin off his back if we reopen. He obviously doesn't give a damn about anyone else other than himself. But whether this punk ends up killing some, uh, you know, someone, a fellow lawmaker or if if they happen to be an asymptomatic carrier thanks to this jerk, they could end up killing their family, their mothers, their their grandmothers, their
3: grandparents, their immune compromised child.
2: So, I, you know, I think that's what I was sort of getting at when I mentioned to David Day and how mind blowing it is to me that something like a deadly pandemic could even be politicized at this point in our american history but it obviously is being but of course that's why we spend so much time on elections as david also noted and and to that end i've got time for uh, really i think just one quick uh, mostly good news story here you'll be happy to know on that front today uh, i'll have to put some of uh, some of these other ones off until our next broadcast because we've got a green news report coming up in a moment <laughs> yes Wisconsin will send absentee ballot applications to more than 2.7 million registered voters, according to the uh, state's Election Commission, which consists of three Democrats and three Republicans who voted unanimously on Wednesday for this first step to address concerns about the effects of the coronavirus on in person voting in November. Good news for Wisconsin, for voters of any and all parties. Donald Trump, however, may not be happy about this. I wonder if he will threaten to cut off the federal funding in Wisconsin as he did when Michigan and Nevada did the same recently. I wonder if the Republican National Committee will sue the state to stop them from doing that as they're doing out in California. If they don't, voters may be able to, you know, vote safely in the presidential election year. And we can't have that, can we? Last week, Trump threatened to withhold federal funding from Michigan and Nevada over their nearly identical plans for expanded mail-in voting. And the Republican National Committee sued the state of California for uh, its plan to send out not ballot applications, but actual ballots to all registered voters across the state. Local officials, according to Reuters, uh, were overwhelmed by a surge in applications to vote by mail in Wisconsin's presidential primary on April 7. You remember that one after the extremely right wing state Supreme Court there overturned the Democratic governor's attempt to postpone the election. Or to allow more time for voters to return absentee ballots, since many of them did not even receive their ballots before Election Day. Because officials were so overwhelmed with requests. So, yes, obviously those voters were not able to return them to municipal offices by Election Day. And uh, the U.S. Supreme Court nixed a lower uh, federal judge uh, who said that uh, those voters should be allowed to have more time as long as they postmark their ballots by Election Day, that, uh, you know, they can still come in for uh, about 10 days after the election. Well, the Republicans on the stolen majority of the U.S. Supreme Court, they nixed that idea. But those voters didn't get their their uh, ballots because local offices were so overwhelmed with applications. So will Wisconsin municipalities be more prepared for November? Now that they're sending out applications to every voter in the state, will other states, for that matter, be ready for the uh, tidal wave of of requests that are about to come in? That's just one reason that some, including California, are simply sending out the ballots to all registered voters rather than having to process applications one at a time, as is the case currently right now in most states. The Wisconsin Election Commission staff wrote in their proposal for setting out applications along with information on how voters can apply for ballots online. Quote, based on experiences in March and April of this year, voters new to the absentee process often have difficulty understanding how to request, complete and return an absentee ballot. In addition, they said many organizations, both partisan and nonpartisan, often send Wisconsin voters incomplete or misleading information about the absentee voting process. Yeah. I wonder who wonder which organizations would do that. In any event, this action uh, sending out applications to all voters, they believe, will help to alleviate at least some of the problems they've had in recent elections. Democratic Commissioner Mark Thompson said people like doing things the easy way and voting without waiting in line has become in many ways the norm. The measure is uh, hoped to lower the risk of Wisconsin voters becoming infected with COVID-19 on Election Day and avoid the dangerous situation that the uh, state faced on their uh, previous Election Day on April 7, where they saw astonishingly long lines formed at crowded polling stations. Wisconsin Department of Health and Human Services reported in early May that at least 67 of the state's voters and poll workers uh, who were at voting sites on April 7 came down with COVID. After meeting uh, via a public video conference, the commission's six members voted unanimously to send an application form and a prepaid envelope And that's important because otherwise it becomes a poll tax if you have to find a stamp yourself uh, to uh, some 2.7 million registered voters. The commission still has to approve the content of the mailing that will go out. That will exclude voters who have already uh, uh, have an absentee ballot application on file with the state and about 158,000 people flagged as having moved addresses. They're regarded as inactive voters because a mailing, for example, has been returned to uh, an election office in the past, or they haven't voted in X number of federal elections in a row. Michigan launched a similar initiative to vote, uh, to to send ballot applications, as Wisconsin is doing in mid-way, mid-May. That infuriated Donald Trump, who has been making false claims about voter fraud and absentee voting ever since. Efforts to enact vote-by-mail systems or at least avoid voting in person amid the pandemic have often been opposed by many in the GOP. So it is nice to see that uh, the vote by the Wisconsin Election Commission was unanimous between its three Republicans and three Democratic members. See, told you. A mostly good news story for a change. And now... Desi Doyen and her Green News report is up next. Apologies in advance. You are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. I'll stop the world, with you. Oh boy. Okay. Are you ready, Des?
3: I am. We're running late, so we should get to it. Get to what? Our latest Green News report.
0: All of the ingredients are lining up across the Atlantic and actually in the Pacific Ocean as well.
3: Buckle up. Noah warns hurricane season could be a doozy during a pandemic. Farmers have been hit by an unexpected and deadly locust attack. The plague of locusts expands into India. Plus...
1: Donald Trump's denial... Is costing us.
3: New ad campaign links Trump's coronavirus denial to climate denial. All of that denial and more
2: straight ahead from BradBlog.com. I'm Brad
3: Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen.
2: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
3: We are already dealing with a crisis. Should we sort of barrel into hurricane season? I can't imagine how you impose social distancing when you have, I don't know, a shelter in a school gymnasium.
2: Don't worry about social distancing. And seeing the pandemic's over, everything is fine. I saw it on TV. Buckle up, Buttercup. This is your Green News Report.
3: Gonna soak up the sun. Gonna
2: okay, Desi Doyen, I didn't see it coming. All I heard was a tropical storm named Bertha made landfall on Wednesday in South Carolina, seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, Has storm season even begun?
3: No, it hasn't officially begun, and you are right. Tropical storm Bertha made landfall in South Carolina on Wednesday, less than two hours after the National Hurricane Center named it Bertha. So
2: I can't be blamed for not knowing about it in advance.
3: Yes, and it is extremely rare to have two named storms occur before the official start of hurricane season on June 1st. That's only happened four times in recorded history. Wow. In other News, the plague of locusts that has been devastating crops in eastern Africa, the biggest invasion of desert locusts in 30 years, has now officially spread into India. Officials on Monday announced that nearly 150,000 acres of crops have already been destroyed across seven states. Scientists say the climate crisis is partly to blame, bringing unusually warm temperatures and intense rainfall that triggered the very specific conditions required to create a swarm of this magnitude. A swarm the size of a square kilometer eats as much food as 35,000 people do in a single day.
2: Good God, how many plagues do we have to go through at one time? Don't answer that question.
3: Well, NOAA forecasts that the 2020 Atlantic hurricane season will be unusually active, with three to six major hurricanes that could reach Category 3, 4, or 5, fueled by unusually warm ocean temperatures, including record warm waters in the Gulf of Mexico. There's no way to predict if any will make landfall in the United States. But CBS News meteorologist Jeff Berardelli notes that a new study confirms that the strongest hurricanes are occurring more frequently because of man-made global warming, a piling on of disasters one after the other during a global pandemic.
0: It's something that climate scientists, by the way, talk about all the time. It's called this idea of, of compound events or compound extreme events happening. And now, of course, we have COVID-19 coinciding with hurricane season? How does a society deal with all these multiple disasters happening at the same time?
3: So the climate crisis still looms and the pandemic has clearly shown that some politicians will refuse to act to save lives despite years of warnings.
2: Doesn't matter how many hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Apparently, these politicians will stick to their guns, even if it means massive death.
3: Speaking of... Venerable environmental organization, the League of Conservation Voters, has launched a new ad campaign linking President Trump's efforts to deny the impact of the coronavirus pandemic to his denial of climate science.
1: He denied the warnings of the coronavirus crisis. This is their new hoax. Ignored his medical experts, and we're suffering because of it. And Donald Trump ignored 97% of climate scientists, NASA, and the Department of Defense who agree that climate change is real. Trump even called climate change a hoax, too. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. Donald Trump's denial is
3: costing us. In Ohio, state regulators have approved America's first freshwater offshore wind energy project. The Icebreaker Wind Farm will be built in Lake Erie near Cleveland. The bad news is they required major restrictions. The wind farm must shut down its turbines from March through October to protect migratory birds and bats. And that could doom the project entirely.
2: Well, it's not necessarily bad news if it's saving those birds and bats, but I guess it's bad news for the project.
3: Indeed. Wind farms have to be carefully sited to avoid these bird conflicts. But house cats, glass buildings, and fossil fuel projects actually kill exponentially more birds than wind farms. And finally, New York's Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration has denied a key water permit for the controversial Williams Northeast fracked gas pipeline on the grounds that it would have unacceptable negative impact on water quality and it is incompatible with the state's emissions targets. New Jersey environmental regulators also denied permits for the Williams pipeline on the grounds that the benefits would go mainly to New York.
2: Told you we had all kinds of denial in today's episode. For much more on all of these stories and the denial we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report.
0: There's only three things left now that I can do.
2: That's about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, by the way, on that India locust story, the yeah. plague of locusts, uh, and I complained about how many plagues do we have to go through at once. Yeah. They're going through coronavirus and the uh, uh, locusts and a heat spell, terrible heat spell, and they just got hit with a hurricane. Yeah. So I shouldn't be whining, should I?
3: No, it's, uh, it's a lot all at once.
2: It is a lot all at once, just like the Bradcast every day. <laughs> Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doy, to my guest today, David Dayan of The American Prospect, and to all of you for supporting uh, what we do here every day by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. While you're at Brad Blog, you can download this episode or any other that we have ever done in all of our years for free, thanks to those folks who donate. You can drop me email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
3: I know you've got your own
0: version of the truth.